people gossip about my face. Some say I am steeped in gloom over little Willie's death. Others insist this great conflict weighs on me like an oxen's yoke. According to my copper-headed Kentucky playmate Austin Gallagher, I was melancholy even as a baby. In my youth, neighbors called me lazy. Cousin Dennis Hanks pronounced me a dullard. Today, some contend my countenance betrays uncommon wisdom, while others argue I'm simple and indolent, a gorilla posing as a man. A man's shadow merely betrays his presence. To know him, we must probe the stripes from which he bleeds. Still in my faded dressing gown and broken-down slippers, I look out my office window upon the city. Traces of last night's pyrotechnics hang in the air, and yesterday's mantle of gray has yielded to splashes of red, white, and blue. Flags and buntings announce the rebel army's surrender, while reflections from the morning sun dance on the Potomac like scattered jewels. The river's stench must have stopped General Lee's men from crossing over when they had the chance, warning them of an invisible plague lurking in its waters. Seeds of disease are deposited in the Potomac by rivulets of human waste and refuse that flow along our streets and into its currents. Even this great mansion is no safe harbor from the pestilence. Our little Willie was taken by an epidemic of fever, and Mother is almost insane from grief. I covet the luxury of mourning in the same fashion she does. Willie's not the only son I've lost since assuming this office, and with every soldier's death, a piece of me dies also. The blood of those who've perished in this great conflict could fill the little knob creek near my boyhood home, and their family's tears would flood the fields around it. I give a letter to my secretary, George Nicolay. Hardly more than a boy, he's entirely trustworthy, and nothing escapes his keen eyes. On our walks through the city, he can spot malintended ruffians from blocks away. Uh, though, if we were set upon, reckon I'd be the one protecting his bony frame. The letter is a reply to General James Van Allen, who complains I exposed myself carelessly while visiting Richmond this week. Nicolay thinks it best to assure him appropriate precautions will be taken in the future. My friend Ward Hill Lehman, Marshal of Washington City, a massive man, equal to me in height but much greater in girth, reminds me daily of those who want me dead. Hill claims there are more than eighty plots against my life. Uh, there are times he could have added me to that list. Nonetheless, were it not for my decision to dispatch him to Richmond on Wednesday, he'd be haranguing me over Mrs. Lincoln's plan to attend theater this evening. A recent dream buoys me. Its details are etched in my memory, carved there by repetition. Invariably, it foreshadows momentous events. The morning would be made even brighter if it heralds the much-anticipated news from General Sherman that the remaining rebel units under General Johnston have capitulated. In my vision, I float at a rapid pace across a dark expanse of water to an unknown destination. But this time, unlike the previous occurrences, 
Austin Gallagher appears and calls me back to a memorable Sunday morning of our boyhood. In 1816, my seventh year, as I am told, we live on a tiny farm near the Gallagher family in Hodgenville, Kentucky. Once a wilderness, now this patch of earth is regarded as a peaceful valley. Surrounded by spiraling hills and deep gorges, our place lies along a branch of the rolling fork known as Knob Creek. Father tells us stories of the times before the Indians were vanquished from these parts, a time when they tormented people as far east as Virginia. He witnessed their inhumanity when he was a child. When not tending the farm, father works at the distillery down where the creek and rolling fork join together. That is, unless he's hunting or out in the woods brooding or dreaming up schemes to make a better life. Last year's winter...